Welcome to episode 60 of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. We had an interesting weekend of racing um, at Spain and at Darlington for NASCAR. And, you know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. And, you know, of course, it is the month of May. So we got to start preparing for that as well. But great to be back for another week talking about racing with you. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that this time last year we were in the infancy of this show and the two of us, I think it only done the one episode of fill in the blank. And now we've done 60 episodes. So it's pretty cool to have, have this deal going and have your along and taking what started as Facebook friends on some random NASCAR pages to actually doing a show about all kinds of racing. So we're going to keep this thing going Uh, tonight's, Show is going to go over the fact that uh, Lewis Hamilton might have taken Max Verstappen's soul and uh, other events that took place at Catalonia in the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, 98th win for Lewis, Sir Lewis Hamilton in his 100th pole as they take a week off before they go to Monaco. Martin Truex Jr. Uh, doing a version of The Rock with a size 12 boot up everybody's behind and winning both stages and winning the race. And there really wasn't anybody that could touch him there. Uh, It makes sense that a non-throwback car basically won the race because it's typical Gibbs and Martin Truex. He doesn't know how to run a throwback. So uh, that's beside the point, but yeah, he dominated Uh, junior motorsports had a great day on Saturday with Justin Allgaier getting the win three of the four cars that'll be in the dash for cash of our junior motorsports cars for this weekend's race, including Noah Gagson, who got disqualified, had won the 100K, got disqualified, and then got it reinstated just now um, as we record just a little bit ago. Uh, So he'll be in the dash for cash, no A.J. Allmendinger there, and uh, they'll try to sweep uh, all four, get 400 grand there. Uh, if they can somehow or another win at Dover, which um, it's Noah Gagson, so I don't think he will. I figure it'll be Justin Allgaier or Josh Berry who finished second. And then Sheldon Creed in the cluster that was the Truck Series race on Friday night goes and gets his first win of the season in a uh, Leffler, Jim Smith, ASC, uh, ASC uh, number two truck throwback. So, you know, that was cool for Sheldon Creed, defending series champion, to finally beat the Toyota Stranglehold. And uh, we'll talk about all those events. We'll talk about the fact Dover's this weekend, the one weekend for Dover this year. And uh, we'll be Cup and Xfinity. And uh, we'll get into all of that, along with MotoGP. Uh, super, in the roundup, MotoGP, Supercars, Formula E, Formula 3, and IMSA returning after, I don't know, since Sebring, I think it was. Uh, then we'll get into a little bit of the NFL schedule since they are announcing it basically right now or have for both uh, Josh's Jaguars and my San Francisco 49ers. I know we're going to be playing Detroit on the road. We'll be playing two road games to start the year. We'll be in Detroit and in Philly to start the year before we come back supposedly to play Aaron and uh, Green Bay Packers, if A.A. Ron is still a Green Bay Packer, kind of hoping he isn't, because then the Niners could probably be 3-0. and uh, But uh, we'll talk about Josh's uh, 
at least a one and oh start because he'll be playing Houston and uh, Trevor Lawrence's debut there. And then uh, what else is coming? And they'll have the London game, of course, because, of course, Shad Khan and uh, the Jaguars. But getting all that, we'll also make picks for the Indy Grand Prix, uh, which is the precursor to, of course, the Indianapolis 500. They announced they've provided the entry list for the Indy 500. No Cody Ware. Uh, how unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, can't uh, have everybody in this race. Uh, we have had furniture movers before, but it isn't the IRL anymore. Uh, get into Cup at Dover, Xfinity at Dover. Josh is um, Sim. He did some 1987 racing a few days ago. Caught a little bit of that. It's pretty scary at Michigan, basically trying to drive that thing as loose as it is. So credit to Josh on that and give us some details. And then uh, we'll uh, close. Hopefully we'll go shill for some sponsors. We have uh, Circle B diecast with our uh, code, and maybe you'll we'll see if Manscaped will sponsor us since they sponsor all kinds of English podcasts. And they were trying – Brandon Marshall was trying to get Dale Jr. to get – to use a Manscaped, which was hilarious. That was a funny end to that show. Uh, that was a great podcast. Uh, the I Am Athlete NASCAR version with Dale Jr. That was really um, cool was and yeah, enlightening. And the fact that uh, Jr. Um, does not Manscaped, which um, you probably could figure. And because he's married and he's over 40 and doesn't want to try anymore. And he's already had his two kids, so I don't think he's cares all right so going from manscaped and uh messing with your downstairs area to somebody who's uh definitely could definitely does manscape i would figure uh it would explain how he can tattoo basically his entire body and uh still go and drive faster than anybody else in formula one one of the fastest drivers ever in formula one history sir lewis hamilton going in, binning the start on Sunday in the Spanish Grand Prix, but then putting in a recovery drive of sorts, uh, first segment, basically catching Max Verstappen, doing the undercut, then, uh, or doing the, yeah, doing the overcut after uh, Valtteri Botas got held up behind Lewis on the initial few corners, lost a spot to Charles Leclerc, I mean, he, he was basically done. His day was over at that point. Had to get, had to wait most of the Grand Prix to get past Charles Leclerc. Uh, did the undercut, led Max Verstappen in, which started the basically the the whole situation where Max Verstappen ended up doing a one stop strategy versus a Lewis and Mercedes two stop, and Lewis Hamilton put in twenty plus qualifying laps and basically ate Max Verstappen's lunch and bend him over old country way. And I think took his soul on Sunday, because if you look at how Lewis, his disposition at the end of that race versus the disposition of Max Verstappen, you could tell that it did not work out very well for good old Max and Red Bull. And it's similar. And may, many people mention hungry 2019, but the similar result in how everything went down there. Uh, but even then, I mean, it, it was Lewis went and took took that race away from Max Verstappen uh, when 
basically Red Bull had it in the bag after the start because it's Spain. You can barely pass there. Uh, the results were Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Valtteri Botas, uh, first, second, and third. So in theory, it, they held their spots. The top four, in theory, held their spots uh, because Charles Leclerc finished fourth. Sergio Perez started eighth, finished fifth. Ricardo seventh and and Ricardo and signed swap positions from their start. And those were the seven cars on the lead lap. Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly were your points finishers. The only uh, retirement was Yuki Tsunoda with an electronics issue, only six laps into the Grand Prix, which caused a, a full safety car uh, period. Uh, yeah, Josh, uh, the battle between Lewis and Max is going to go on this whole year, but I think what took place on Sunday was possibly the first nail in the coffin for Red Bull if they're really going to try and ha- try to beat Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Right. I mean, for Max Verstappen, I mean, it has to be crushing for him just to lead all that laps. I mean, he led the most laps in the race. I mean, obviously, he don't get any uh, consolation for that, but still to lead uh, for that amount of the race and not win has to be crushing. And for, you know, for Lewis, like he didn't even have to lead the entire race and he still won. So that tells you just how good of a driver he is and just how good of a car uh, the Mercedes team is able to give him to win these races. And, you know, for, for stopping, I mean, they just don't have the pace compared to Lewis Hamilton and, like you said, I mean, they were kind of forced into you know, doing the one-stop strategy for the race, whereas uh, Mercedes, they were able to go on a two-stop strategy, and that you know gave Lewis Hamilton the ability to um, drive back through the field and, and pass Max Verstappen in the last you know five laps of the race, and Max just you know couldn't hold him off at, at the end. I mean, he had the DRS for Hamilton going into turn one, and he was just able to pass uh, Verstappen there and then take the win. So uh, it was definitely an interesting strategy for Red Bull to take. I mean, they kind of had to and just try to, you know, get a big lead at the end, and that one that they would hope to be uh, too big for uh, Lewis Hamilton to take. But then, of course, the Mercedes just has a, a lot of pace behind it, and it's just able to go out and pass people and make up time, and they're able to do that. And, you know, for them, I mean, it, obviously they like it, and it's a lot more enjoyable for them to just be able to go out and do that. So for this battle, I mean, this is, like you said, probably the first nail in the coffin. And I think Red Bull's going to have to do a little bit of evaluation to see where, what they need to do to, um, I guess, re-equalize the advantage that they thought they had when the season started in Bahrain. Because when you think about it, like we all thought that maybe they'll be able to challenge uh, Mercedes this year. And, you know, for the first two or three weeks of the season, it looked like that. But this one here, it was clearly, uh, even though they led a lot of the laps, it was clearly a, a Mercedes race in the very end. So now that you know they've only won one race, now they got to go back and look at what they need to do to uh, win the Monaco GP in two weeks. So if, if they're able to do that, you know, obviously it would kind of equalize the, the fight a little bit. But, you know, for Hamilton, he's just got to go out and keep on winning. And, you know, he had his 100th pole this weekend, and then also his 98th win. So now he's just two wins away from hitting the century mark. 
in forming the one wins and continue to add to his record uh, and his legacy, I guess, as a Formula One driver. But, you know, for the, the points battle, I mean, even though uh, Max Verstappen didn't win the race, I mean, he still got the fastest lap award, which is a, at least a good consolation prize for him. But uh, the championship battle is beginning to distance between him and uh, Lewis there. So he's got a 14 point difference to Lewis. And even though it is, it's still early, so there's still time to make it up. But obviously, as the season wears on and he continues to finish uh, second to Lewis, it's going to be a, a lot tougher battle to be for the championship for them to win it. Yeah, and for for Max, when you get the start, uh, Lewis didn't get the best start, but Max got him there. You have to call it, call it like you, like it is. And they had a good enough car on pace during the first segment. Uh, but they also were giving up time by the end of the stint on those used softs. So in in a sense, they had an opportunity to kind of stem it. Uh, they'll use the excuse that, oh, the second car wasn't there, and that's why Valtteri Botas was used as kind of like the guinea pig. But you could also go and and not answer what Valtteri Botas is doing and make – make Mercedes make the first move in possible in regards to Lewis, not, not Valtteri Botas. And maybe that changes the tide and that stems the tide a little bit. I don't know. I think Monaco will suit the Red Bull better than the Mercedes. Personally, I think they'll be able to get uh, if, if, and, and the reality is this, you can qualify on pole at Monaco. You're basically going to win unless you completely F it up like Mercedes did for Lewis a few years ago. Uh, it's something that if they can put qualifying together, which Max has been doing good this year so far. I mean, granted, Lewis has, uh, you know, he has the two poles and uh, Max has one and Valtteri has one. So the fact is it's going to be one of those three likely to go and get the pole, but I think it's going to be more than likely either Lewis or Max. And I feel like Max is going to be the guy. I think Max is angry now uh, and pissed about the fact that they gave away that race and he probably didn't perform his best. And fundamentally he needs to answer. And Lewis, you know, for as great as he is, I was saying it is one of his best tracks where he's won all these races in a row. So, I mean, that, I guess I was incorrect on that one. I just don't like Catalonia. It's just a crappy circuit, uh, but he made it look interesting the way he was putting in laps there on Sunday. But Monaco is a totally different beast and very difficult. It's basically not a racing circuit. I don't think it even was a racing circuit when it first started. It's definitely not grade one uh, Formula One circuit under any circumstances. Because under that logic, you could run Road America, Watkins Glen, any number of circuits here. You could run uh, what's what you McCall. You can run uh, the uh, Mossport. You can run Sebring. You can run any number Laguna of great State. circuits. Laguna, you know, they could run any number of circuits around here in America that are way more safer, and you could actually pass uh, than uh, Monaco. But it's because it's a principality and it's classic. So we'll talk about that next week in more detail but in terms of the midfield battle itself you look at ferrari they have taken a step forward getting a double points finish again with leclerc and signs 
with fourth and seventh. You have the uh, McLaren duo sixth and eighth with Ricardo finally getting above Lando Norris. And then after that, you have one Alpine with Ocon and then the Alpha Tori with Gasly, the two Astons in 11th and 13th. And so, I mean, you can kind of see the, the tiers falling out accordingly. Now, I think Ferrari and McLaren are in their own little group. Now the second level or their level behind Mercedes and Red Bull. And then after that, you have the Alpha Tories and, and Alpine and, uh, I guess for, I guess for, you know, you could say Aston Martin, but they haven't had pace all year. The car has just not been that good. They're kind of in the limbo phase. And then Alfa Romeo's kind of in a limbo. So I feel like there's multiple tiers now in this deal um, in regards to where everybody is at. But what did what did you see? Was there anybody that stood out to you in regards to the midfield? Uh, I mean, I guess Leclerc is the easy answer. I I, but I would say Daniel Ricardo finally starting to get his hands around this McLaren with the Mercedes engine power unit is is a good sign considering how good of a driver he is. And once he kind of figures it out, he's able to build his part of the team around him and build that team morale up. Uh, McLaren's running really good in both IndyCar and now in Formula One, but they want to take that step forward and step back to where they've been many years before. Uh, but who who else, who stood out to you in regards to the midfield battle on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like I was going to say Leclerc uh, just cause like we've been talking about how bad Ferrari is uh, over the past year, but so far this season, I mean, he scored points in every race that we've had so far uh, to start the 2021 season. And so far, I mean, Leclerc's, looked like he's been the best of the rest uh, to me. I mean, we, we've talked about Lando Norris as well, but he didn't really have, I mean, relative to Leclerc, he didn't really have that great of a race. And Leclerc was obviously the best of the midfield guys. And, and I almost want to give the nod to Ferrari as a whole. It seems like maybe they may at the end of the year, they may be a little bit more consistent, I guess, than uh, McLaren. Um, Cause it seems like McLaren seems to have better results at some other tracks where they finish top three or one of their cars can get on the podium. Like you saw at the beginning of the year with Lando Norris, but then uh, with uh, Ferrari, like as a team, as a constructor, um, I feel like maybe they'll be able to get more consistent results throughout the year uh, with, with their two drivers with Carlos Sainz and uh, uh, Charles Leclerc. So for, for me, I think Ferrari seems to be improving um, but I, I still do believe, like like you said, with uh, Daniel Ricciardo, I mean, he finished uh, ahead of Lando there in this uh, Spanish Grand Prix. So uh, the first time this season that he uh, finished above his teammates, but still they have a, a lot of work to do um, to be better. I mean, like you said, uh, as we go throughout the year, I mean, he's going to get more comfortable with this car and we're going to start to maybe see the Daniel Ricciardo that we saw when he was at Red Bull when uh, he was the, the top guy there. Uh, so we look forward to see if they're able to kind of produce uh, those type of results and maybe McLaren gets a upset win in the middle of this 
uh, Max Verstappen Lewis Hamilton battle uh, that we're seeing this season. Maybe they figure out how to win it. One of these races we'll see, but I think, you know, another team we have to talk about is Alpine. I mean, uh, Espan Ocon managed to get in points this week with a ninth place finish. And uh, I mean, uh, Fernando Alonso ended up finishing a lap down in 17th in his home Grand Prix, but I still think uh, for them, um, they, they might end up being, I guess the team below one tier below McLaren and Ferrari uh, to go uh, end of the year, I guess. But I think those guys, and then, um, you know, also, I mean, Aston Martin's below them, I think what you said, and then uh, Alfa Romeo. And then I guess, you know, we don't really have to talk about the rest of the field. It's all irrelevant, but yeah, I mean, I think for, for this, like, it seems like at this point this season, I, I may point to, Ferrari, I guess, is below the team that's below uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. Yeah, they've made the new power unit uh, after last year's uh, having to basically take it on the chin with all the cheating they did before that. This new power unit has has been able to perform, and the main team is doing better in general. Good combination at the Scuderia with Leclerc and Carlos signs. And I think those dividends will pay off more next year. And I mean, you can look at it in just the constructors standings right now. Uh, they, what is it? A 29 point lead for Mercedes over uh, Red Bull. And then after that, there's a huge gap. Uh, what is it? 35 and 47 points from Red Bull to McLaren and then McLaren and Ferrari are only separated by five points. So that's going to be an interesting battle, and they're in their own little fight. Alpine, Alfa Tori, Aston Martin are all separated by 10 points. So that is, they're probably in their own world right there. Um, I think Aston Martin basically is in no man's land, and Alfa Tori, if they would, you know, with Yuki Sonoda could finish races, Um, They would maximize some of those tracks where they're a little better. You know, they might be giving Alpine a little bit of a fight. Um, Alpine's car is very hit or miss as well. Um, Alonso being completely out to lunch uh, at home is not a great sign. Uh, But we'll see. And then the other three teams have not scored. And specifically, will I mean, for Alfa Romeo, they've had their moments, uh, but they don't have a great car. Williams, of course, they're they're not really interested in this year. Hopefully, George Russell can pull a point, but it's going to be very difficult. Um, even Latifi is performing better in his third year on the grid. So, in it, Doralton has put in a little bit of money, but they're not really focused. The one team that we will focus on is the last team, uh, Putin Haas and Egghead, uh, because he was affecting the race again. He got a penalty point and a ceremonial uh, penalty for pit or uh, qualifying position because he qualified dead last anyway after holding up Lando Norris in qualifying in, in Q1. Then during the race, he held up, uh, I think it was Max, or, or no, he held up Lewis actually. Yeah, he held up Lewis during that first segment and uh, Toto Wolf actually called Michael Massey on the radio to tell uh, him that Egghead was in the way and affecting their strategy. I think Egghead 
there there's one thing you can say about him. It's that he has figured out a way to make himself a part of every race. Now, the negative is he's figured out a way to make himself a part of every race. When you are as bad as he is and you are as big of a tool as Egghead is, uh, and that car is an absolute piece of trash, I mean, literally a rolling piece of garbage. Uh, there are garbage cans, there are lawnmowers, there are, there are freaking what do you call coolers? There's things that are motorized that are probably much better than that Haas. I mean, albeit, you know, Mick Schumacher's able to make passes and actually look like a proper Formula One driver, but that's beside the point. Uh, his daddy is a legend and he's a Formula Two champion while his teammate's dad is going to buy the team and his uncle's laddie. So, I mean, when you saw that he went and affected the race again and all the, of course, memes and all the hashtags that exist about him and uh, the notion of how people talk about him and even the announcers, you could tell when they talk about him, you're just like, oh, boy, this guy really sucks. I mean, it's it's something to see. And I think and I said this on Grid Talk, and we were talking about it on Grid Talk because they always throw to me when it comes to Egghead, and I think because they just know I'm going to say something crazy. But the notion is he's going to get his ass kicked, and I think he's going to get his ass kicked next week at Monaco because he's going to get in the way of somebody, and it's going to affect him, and they're going to punch him right in his face. And I'm kind of here for it. I, I think it would be good for the sport to see him, you know, get knocked out and not be able to race because of concussion protocol or something like it would actually be positive for uh, the grid that he would be missing. Uh, and they'd have to like call Pietro Fittipaldi and make him fly uh, or however many hours to jump in a freaking Formula One car, no practice. But hey, I'd rather take Pietro Fittipaldi in that, you know, uh, Putin Haas than the guy that is driving that car outside of Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, for this mass pain guy, I mean, you know, it's going to really hurt for him because I think his name ought to be changed to Nikita massive pain. You know, this is a a continuing story. Uh, He's just slow and in the way every week. Um, I mean, you know, we talk about people who are in the way. I mean, we saw, I mean, to, not to switch gears, but, you know, in, in NASCAR, a lot of times it seemed like Ryan Newman's always in the way, but at least he's good and he's knows how to hold his own. But this guy is just in the way and affecting people's race uh, negatively uh, when he shouldn't be. And uh, we saw unqualifying affected Lando Norris, um, which may have affected Lando Norris's race because who knows, maybe he could have qualified better and finished better. But, you know, uh, that certainly um, is a unknown there, but I mean, mass pain just continues to be in the way every week. And I mean, w- maybe he actually is a decent driver, but we wouldn't even know because the Haas car is just really bad overall. So you have like two compounding er- errors, I guess, one, the driver, and then two, the car. So that makes for just a a disaster, I guess. And I mean, you can make a driver look better than what he actually is with a good car, but at the same time, the, the driver is also bad. So just two, you know, two wrongs and that won't make a right, you know, 
So that that's what it is for for him. And maybe he gets released in the middle of the season. Um, I don't think we'd see a, a fight in Formula One that hasn't happened in a long time, but it would certainly generate a lot of interest in Formula One. And you know, I can't wait to see how they document that if that ever happened in the Netflix series Drive to Drive to Survive. So that would be uh, very interesting to see. I mean, maybe we see Lewis go out and um, just beat up Maspin or something at, after the race because uh, um, he got in the way and caused him to lose to Max. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe I'm predicting the future right here. We'll see. But it, that could definitely be entertaining. But um, maybe they fire him in the middle of the season or they uh, cut him after the year and find somebody else because, I mean, clearly it's not working right now. But uh, he, he gives us laughs, uh, at least in, uh, for the, the moment, but you know, this, this is, um, just an interesting story that. Yeah, he got uh, when we did the post-race uh, show on the grid talk and it's on YouTube, it's on anywhere where you can hear podcasts, basically, uh, one of the guys gave him driver of the day because he literally makes himself a part of the conversation. And everyone laughed, including me, because it's it's true. Um, not that it's a good thing that he was driver of the day, but, I mean, to be as awful as he is, to be literally the worst Formula 1 driver since UGE day, people make Karthikeyan references because Vettel called him a cucumber. I mean, there's there's... There are, I mean, he's in the worst drivers I've ever seen. I mean, he's Quinn Huff level terrible, uh, you know, but, you know, we'll see milk and donuts. It kind of reminds me of that. They need to start and park him or something before once he gets lapped, uh, once he's about to get lapped a second time, they should just make him park his car. I mean, just get off the racetrack because he doesn't even know how to use mirrors. He's, he's just a jackass. I mean, that's literally what it is. Uh, going from jackasses in Europe to inbreds in South Carolina, we have the Goodyear 400 at Darlington, the throwback weekend. And that Truax kid from Mayetta, New Jersey, I think he's still leading the race. Um, I'm sure it's one of his home races, too, at this point, because he's won there a few times. Uh, won both stages, led 248 of the races, 293 laps. Uh, you know, woke NASCAR Twitter, meaning the inbred LCD, hated the race. It wasn't wasn't exciting. It was boring. You know, I I personally, if if Fox knew how to show a race, I think there was plenty of racing behind Martin Truex Jr. Obviously. Uh, there are a lot of cars that were running well. Uh, they basically no-sell Chase Briscoe because Clint Boyer can't deal with the fact that he got replaced out of the 14 car. And Chase Briscoe had his best run of the year and didn't even bother to say he was there. Didn't say he got a, a lucky dog the one time. He was leading the race because they were short on tires. Didn't mention it. I, I mean, at some point, we have to go and address that. Uh, once he starts running well, which I think they're starting to turn a corner, even with the fact that Klossmeyer blows, and that whole entire organization is a disaster area this year. Uh, Eric Almirola got run over by O. Richard, I think, 
eight eight laps into the race or some bullshit like the six laps into the race, you know, cold custard, uh, backed into a rookie of the year when he had no business winning rookie of the year. And now he got wrecked by Alf fast pasta on a restart. And there were like 20, there were the three of them, I think are 26th or 28th in points, uh, which is insanely bad. Uh, they're not, this series right now is not a very deep series in regards to teams that are really, really good. Uh, they, I mean, they're talking about those 16 winners. I think there will be about 12 or 13, but there aren't 16 cars worthy of making the playoffs really. And they're going to have 16 cars for whatever reason, because NASCAR is infinite wisdom, but, uh, Truex three wins this year, all on 750 tracks, all on tracks that are going to be in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, after a year where he only won one race and new crew chief and the whole thing, he's back to what he was doing with, uh, Cole Pern now with James Small. I mean, I think he's got to be the favorite right now for this, for this championship over Denny Hamlin or, you know, Clyde or whoever you want to put in there. He's got three wins and he's been dominant in every single one of those races. Yeah, for sure. With, uh, Martin Truex Jr. I mean, we, again, I mean, credit to me. I mean, we picked him, I picked him last week. So, uh, I mean, and by the way, Florida just, uh, legalized sports betting, I think. So pretty soon we're going to see some of these, uh, gambling companies, uh, make, uh, betting apps legal or available in Florida. So I can go and make my picks there and make some cash on that. So, um, we'll have to see about that, but Truex, I mean, he's just dominating this race and uh, he's just able to go out there and, and lead and, and really didn't have any issue, um, except for a couple times with lap cars. I mean, there was a bit where he was with, with trying to lap uh, Bubba Wallace, and Bubba was uh, trying really, really hard to stay on the lead lap, and eventually he got around Bubba there. But, I mean, that was I thought that was a good bit of action there. I mean, Bubba, you know, he's able, at least he was able to stay in front of him for a few laps uh, there uh, in his car. But then at the end, uh, it looked like maybe Larson might be able to pass Truex there but I mean he just didn't time his runs right I think um, he had a chance with about 28 to go or 26 laps to go to pass uh, Truex and he got up to his bumper I think but just uh, didn't have I guess the right timing there because at the end uh, ended up losing ground to Truex and ended up being a a two-second win for Martin Truex but uh, just a complete domination uh, complete total team effort for the 19 team um, there. So just re- really uh, setting the tone for the season there for Truex. And I mean, I think I agree with you right now. He's definitely the favorite. He's the only driver in the cup series that has multiple wins right now. Um, and it looks like for now, I mean, you might be able to pick him to win at Dover. And uh, that, that definitely is very possible with the way that the 19 uh, car is running this year. So, I mean, even with Denny Hamlin, uh, I mean, he's leading the points still by 75 points, but I mean, he's not really in the conversation anymore because he's not winning. So he's got to start winning, I guess. But I mean, I think we could get to 16 winners, but it's probably not likely. I mean, I'm going to say it's 14 uh, that we get to because usually the summer months in NASCAR tend to get pretty wacky and we see some surprise winners during the summer leading up to the uh, NASCAR playoffs. So, I mean, I would think maybe 14 winners, but no more than that. Um, but 
I think, you know, for drivers like Kyle Larson, you know, continuing to give, I wouldn't say he gave away this one, but Larson uh, just, I guess, wasn't able to take advantage of the opportunity uh, to pass Truex there and get a win at Darlington. I mean, he's actually been pretty good at Darlington too. He's led a lot of laps there the last couple of years, um, except for last year, obviously, but uh, I mean, he gave a gave away a opportunity to win, or, or I guess didn't take advantage of an opportunity to win here at Darlington. And then Kyle Busch uh, faded at the beginning, had a flat tire at the beginning of the race, but then he came back and finished third and didn't get the win, but still a respectable comeback effort from him there. Um, but I mean, throughout the race, like transition to the next topic, like we talked about, like the drivers being able to actually pass each other, not really having dirty air impeding them. Uh, having advantage the tires. I mean, it was actually a very much a throwback race in in form, not just in appearance. So th this was like if you're a fan of the old style racing where you really have to manage the throttle uh, and really have to manage the tires throughout the course of a fuel run. Um, I mean, this was your kind of race. And I mean, even with uh, Truex domination, I mean, still there was uh, 19 lead changes in this race. So it's still somewhat competitive. I mean, it wasn't the most competitive race, uh, if, even if you go back to the old days when um, they did have passing there in the old days too. But uh, it was still still a very much a formidable race. And uh, I mean, it wasn't that long ago when NASCAR had low downforce. I mean, it was up until the end of 2018 that we had low downforce uh, in these cars. So we'll have to see how that goes. And if uh, they decide to go that direction for uh, the next-gen car. So uh, I think for this race, though, complete domination for Truex, and uh, it looks like it's going to continue to trend in that direction. Yeah, and it's it's something where right now he's 75 points back of Hamlin overall in the points, but he has three race wins along with the three stage wins, so he's got 13 more playoff points, and he bleeds by nine over the next closest driver and Kyle Larson in regards to that. So this has got, you know, feelings and signs of 2017 when he would just accumulate stage wins, stage points, and he was able to ride it into Homestead at that point, that when we still had a decent arrangement of a schedule in a sense, and they had Homestead as a finale, and he was able to go and win that race and win his championship. Uh, I think this is lining up similar to that, and it would be, I mean, he has 30 cup wins. I mean, it, for for all intents and purposes, he's locked himself into the Hall of Fame now uh, with with the, his performance since 2016, really, and the cup championship. He's won the 600. He's won at Darlington, the Southern 500. He's missing Indy. Well, now Indy doesn't exist anymore because now it's a road course. Uh, you know, Bristol night race. I'm not, I don't think he's won Bristol, but uh, he's won. He's been a good at Daytona over the years, but he's never been able to win the 500. He came close, of course. The first Daytona 500 Hamlin one was, wish, I was wishing that Truex would have won that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, we'll see what happens with him. And, I think the points in general will kind of change around as we get through the rest of the season. I think some of the drivers, as we get to, you know, you have a lot of, we have the road courses coming up 
we have uh, Coda after Dover this weekend. Then you have Sonoma after Charlotte. And then you'll have a new track in Nashville, a doubleheader at Pocono. Well, Sonoma, and then they'll have two weeks to Nashville. So that'll be so there'll be an off week there. That'll be interesting. So, uh, and they'll have a day race there in Nashville. Then you'll have two races at Pocono, El, uh, Road America, and then you have Atlanta afternoon race in July. Well, that'll be something. And then you'll have Loudon, and then a the Olympic Olympic break in between Loudon and Watkins Glen. And then there'll be two consecutive road course races and then Michigan and then the final race at Daytona. So it's a varied, uh, wide variety of racing uh, races and different types of tracks. A lot of opportunities there uh, for drivers that are outside of the top 16 and points to lock themselves or try to give themselves an opportunity to lock themselves in, possibly go in and really flip this series uh, season on its lid in a sense. Uh, True X, Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, of course, coming back, as Josh said, uh, from the early issues of the tire delamination there. And William Byron, who's just knocking out top tens uh, like a McKine. Uh, Denny Hamlin, top five. Harvick, sixth. Elliott, Blaney, Busher, Nonek. Chase Briscoe uh, gets his best finish on a non-super speedway in 11th, uh, Reddick, Logano, and you had Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, who got hung out to dry by his own crew chief there at the end of the first segment, I believe, and uh, went from leading to going a lap down and basically was chasing that lap back the rest of the day. Uh, Eric Jones had a good car and had a tire issue. It was a shame. John Andretti throwback, and he wasn't able to finish the job. He had never finished outside the top 10 at uh, Darlington until this race, but he had a car that could have finished in the top 10 uh, there on Sunday. Uh, Brad Keselowski, without his crew chief, uh, was complete uh, hot smoking garbage. And, uh, I mean, you had Kurt Busch, who was on fire uh, after getting into it with over whoever, uh, I mean, it was it was somewhat of a you know, cluster. I mean, it's been a cluster of a year for what's probably going to be Kurt Busch's last year of his cup career. Uh, but giving up points like this at a track where he was likely to go and get a top 10 or top 15 is, is not a good look there. Uh, but I guess we'll see what happens at Dover this weekend, recovery uh, possibility for either of those guys. They both won there. And then, uh, but Truex is definitely, Truex and Larson have been two of the best cars all year. Kyle Busch now all of a sudden has momentum. William Byron, Denny Hamlin, those are all guys, Harvick, Elliott. I mean, basically, you look at the first seven drivers last week. I mean, it could look basically the same this week as we go to Dover. Uh, Justin Allgaier mentioned it in the initial part of the show gets the win, another uh, win there at uh, Darlington, or his first win at Darlington, but a win at a challenging racetrack for him. Puts himself, gives himself uh, some extra points there. He's now got tied with Austin Sindrick for the most wins for regulars. 
He's only five points back in regards to the playoff point situation, which will reset him from where he is now in seventh place to second uh, once the season ends. If season, I mean, I think he'll be able to keep on winning. Uh, big points gap there. I mean, there really isn't the way I was talking about. There aren't 16 drivers that should make the playoffs. There aren't 12 drivers that should make this playoff either. Uh, but there are drivers in there that have done good work. Uh, you'll have Jeremy Clements in fifth is a perfect example. South Carolina kid, uh, been around a while, goes and gets a top five at Darlington. You know, you have Allgaier, Barry, Bruckshot Jones, Hemrick, who literally uh, in the, the first 38 laps of the race, I think, and then kind of just fell back. And then you have Annette Moffitt, Ryan Sieg, Alex LeBay, and Harrison Burton, your top 10. Yeah, I mean, it was – I think the the dominant Gagson, of course, had one of the best cars. He's going to end up finishing fourth. So I said Hamrick was fourth, so we move everything back. Clements actually finished sixth, but it was still a great run for him. Sindrick, Gagson, and Hamrick were the three best cars uh, for the majority of the day. But when it counted, Justin Allgaier was able to close – and beat Josh Berry there. So a uh, junior motorsports one, two, four at the end of the day in Xfinity. And, and uh, yeah. Just, uh, I mean, I say like, I mean, there's a throwback race for junior motorsports with their cars. I mean, honoring Dale Earnhardt, honoring uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's Justin Algar taking the win. And I mean, for, for him, I mean, it's a milestone win at Darlington as as always, but I mean, Noah Gragson getting the uh, dash for cash there. And obviously we talked about it earlier, like got the penalty and was disqualified, but they appealed and they've given him back the uh, position and he gets to keep his award, keep the money. So uh, at least they recovered from that. But I mean, the younger guys are the, you know, the underdogs of the series, like Clements finishing in sixth. And then, um, I mean, I was, I was hoping Brandon Brown would have a good run but he finished on the lead lap still, but ended up being in 24th. Um, so uh, in the UPS throwback to Dale Jarrett there, but uh, so not a great run, but I mean, also, I mean, I have to talk about you know, a guy like Alex LeBay uh, finishing in 10th as well. So uh, some of these younger or not younger, but like underdog drivers uh, getting good runs and Ryan Sieg in uh, 30, the 39 car finishing in ninth and Brett Moffat in eighth. So, uh, a lot of a lot of guys had good runs there uh, for the Xfinity Series uh, in Darlington on Saturday. Yeah, and Brett Moffitt's running for points now, so he needs to get himself into the top 30 and win. Uh, right now, Brett Moffitt is in 36th. He is, what is it, 24 points behind 30th. Uh, there are cars that are ahead of him that have not, or drivers that have not run every race this year. In regards to... Drivers who have run, there's only one, two, three uh, drivers that have run every race that are ahead of them right now. There are guys that have run way, well, one less race, like, uh, you know, Jade Buford and it looks like David Starr. Uh, but other than that, you know, Josh Berry, of course, he's run, he's going to run the majority of the races before. Uh, what's his name? Sam Mayer turns 18 and then he's going to hand the ride off to him, which is a shame, honestly, because Josh Berry's run great this year. 
in that eight car and has proven once again that, you know, he's, I mean, he was a national champion in late models last year. So it's not like it's some sort of shock, but, uh, Junebug has wanted to put him in a car for years and they finally got the money together to put him in like 14 races and he's proven his worth and we'd hope that he'd be able to get more than that. But kind of same thing as some of these other guys that have been struggling to stay on the circuit, you know, like the Jeb Burtons of the world to finally get a ride, but we'll see what happens with that. In the truck series, I mean, we talked about it in the open about Sheldon Creed. I mean, the basically it was a, Kyle Busch Motorsports benefit, and then they wrecked. The big wreck uh, started in the front where John Hunter and I think Corey Heim got together, and then it set off some chain reaction cluster that uh, wrecked most of the field. I mean, John Hunter still got a top five, which is insane. Uh, But, you know, Sheldon Creed was the one that benefited the most in that deal. Uh, the truck series very early in the year to, I don't know how many races have to go, go over here. I'll give you the results. Uh, they had, they had, yeah. So yeah. Creed wins over Rhodes. Of course, Rhodes has been having a career year this year. Uh, John Hunter had a top 10, sorry. So he did not a top five, top 10. Uh, Rhodes was led the, so it was, it was John Hunter and Rhodes led most of the race, nearly a hundred laps. Uh, took they had twelve cautions for sixty-six laps, so that's basically nearly half of the race. I mean, it was a cluster of a race. Um, they actually parked Norm Benning for being too slow. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of whatever there to say the least. I mean, Carson Hosevar getting a third. After they move Phil Gould over to his truck, uh, that's their truck that they're going to try to make the playoffs with at Nice, and uh, that's a good start to that partnership there. Kraft and Enfinger, so three GM or Door Sport trucks in the top five, and four in the top six with Sauter. As the what is it? Uh, Ty Majeski is going to run two races for them here, here soon. Uh, Timmy Hill running a Kenny Irwin Jr. throwback, finishes seventh. And then uh, a couple of furniture movers are at the back end of the top ten. Uh, you can kind of go down all the way. you got a bunch of bootleggers there, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, in terms of the points, it's really John Hunter, Ben Rhodes, and everybody else at this point. There's uh, Creed getting that win, though puts himself in the conversation as that definite third driver that's going to be in this final four more than likely. Uh, outside of that, I really don't know who would be that fourth person. I guess we have time to determine that. Um, as it stands right now, uh, what is it? Carson Hosevar is in the 10th place spot in points because Enfinger hasn't run every race. Uh, Austin Wayne self is uh, 17 points back. Uh, Chandler Smith is 19 points back. And that's basically it because Raphael Lassard lost his ride. So right now, as it stands, there's really 13 trucks for 10 spots. And uh, even then, it's really 12 for 10 because Grand Enfinger is not eligible. 
And then uh, anybody else that would be there that's run every race would need a win and a miracle, really. Uh, like the likes of Chase Purdy, who's been absolute garbage this whole entire year. Uh, he's running in a GMS truck, and he's freaking 23rd in points. Uh, I mean, you have Peters, which has been a disappointment. The 19 truck with Derek Krause has been a disappointment this year. The DGR, Crosley, whatever team is is taking a real step backwards in general. Uh, the exception, of course, is Todd Gillen, but that's because of experience, really, uh, more than anything, I think. Uh, they don't have the pace, really, to win on a weekly basis. You know, Truex, that's a, that's a Nice truck. Ankrum's a GMS truck and has been a nightmare. I mean, Miss Hummer 2.0, whatever. Um, Chandler Smith definitely needs to pick the pace up, and that could be the battle itself. I think Chandler Smith versus Carson Hosevar for that final playoff spot because I I figure basically everybody else ahead of that is going to make it in. Uh, and John Hunter, is you're just going to have to get through the four truck. And once they get some things ironed out with that team, I, I figure it's going to be John Hunter and nobody's going to be able to stop him. But I don't know what you're thinking about that, Josh. Yeah, with the truck series, I mean, again, John Hunter and Nemechek still – dominating the series even though he didn't win this week and you know now that Sheldon Creed uh has won a race I mean at least he's able to have something on the table now and he's at least it'll make a case for himself uh to win the championship but it, they just have not had the pace either and I think another guy that we have to talk about who had a lot of pace last year and led a, a, a bunch of laps um may shouldn't have won or didn't win as much as they should have is um Austin Hill, who uh, had a lot of success last year uh, in the 16 truck, but this it seems like this season, um, I mean, they haven't you know been terrible really, but at the same time they've been very quiet to start the year, and they just seem like they're not in the same form that they were uh, a year ago. I mean, even though they have three top fives and uh, or you know five top tens, they're fourth in points. It just seems like uh they're they're not really running as well as what what they they were a year ago and i feel like you know they could could be a little bit better than what they are now um but of course it just seems like it's just all john hunter Nemechek at this point um but you know he probably should have won that race too if he didn't get crashed on the uh restart there that tipped off the big one at darlington and i have to give a lot of credit though to uh sheldon creed is um that takes a lot of skill to be able to miss the wreck and you know be able to see through it and time uh the amount of steering movements that you need to make uh and and you know touching the brake and all that stuff to be able to miss the wreck so he was able to do that and and then uh he was able to win the race so at least for him he gets to make his argument on the table on what he needs to do to uh be competitive this year in the chart series and be able to uh, at least ha- have a, a case to be made for him to repeat uh, in the championship later this year. And as we found out in social media, he's worth more than $15,000 um, after uh, getting into it with uh, Marcus Limonis, uh, who's been sponsoring a lot of the trucks here this year 
to try to make it look better for his own series, which is basically the only re- the only reason the truck series exists anymore is because of Marcus Lemonis, because it should have been dead a long time ago. Uh, Code will be their next race, so we'll talk about the trucks in more detail next week on uh, episode Richie Evans of the Drip Strip podcast. Uh, we'll transition over into the roundup portion and uh, MotoGP, which saw the uh, Ducatis of Jack Miller and Paco Bagnaia going and uh, having a great run there at the Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez, getting a one-two finish for the Ducati team after the qualifying, which saw Miller and Bagnaia start third and fourth uh, behind Quattararo and Franco Morbidelli. Quattararo uh, goes from pole and uh, finished, uh, I find it, 13th, so nightmare race for him. Morbidelli finishes third. Taka Nakagami on the LCR Honda finished fourth and Joanne Mir. Uh, the defending world champion finished fifth. Alex Espargaro, Maverick Vinales, Johan Zarco, Mark Marquez, and Paul Espargaro, so the two Honda, Repsol Honda teammates, finished ninth and tenth. And so three Ducatis in the top eight there in the, the semi-factory or the factory connection on the team with Takanakagami gets a fourth. I mean, while his teammate, Alex Marquez, doesn't even get a lap. So that's interesting. In regards to uh, Moto2, which is where the Americans are there, we can go and get give you some results on that. Fabio Antonio finished, got the win over Marco Basecki and Sam Lowe's. Remy Gardner finished fourth, Raul Fernandez fifth, Javi Vieje sixth, uh, Joe Roberts finished eighth, um, Aaron Kinnett there ninth, and, uh, Cameron Bobier had a DNF there on uh, Sunday in the uh, Moto2 race. They'll be going to Le Mans this weekend for the races, so hopefully um, better result for Cameron Bobier and uh, Joe Roberts can continue to progress up. Uh, as it stands, Roberts is sixth in points, well behind, of course, the battle between Gardner, Lowe's, and Raul Fernandez, who are separated by six points. Bisecki is fourth, and DG Antonio, with his win, puts himself back into the points battle in fifth. 17 points back of the lead. Uh, Cameron Bobier is 14th in points with two points finishes so far. Uh, getting, I'll give you the points in regards to MotoGP. Bagnaia and Quattraro are separated by two points. Quattraro has two wins, a fifth, and then that 13th place finish at Hereth. Uh, Vinales, Mir, Zarco are separated by two points between the three of them. Then another batch of 
uh, riders, which includes Miller, who won, and then Alicia Spargo, Franco Morbidelli, six points, and Rins Binder finish out the top ten. Mark Marquez just came back a few weeks ago. He's 15th in points. And Valentino Rossi has won one points finish so far this year. So a very sad end to the legendary career of Valentino Rossi, to say the least. Uh, going to the supercars at the bend in... Uh, it was an interesting weekend for sure in regards to uh, the balance across all three uh, races and the ability to see different drivers win. Uh, Cameron Waters is the winner. He won one of the three races there. Uh, you can go to the... Yeah, they go to race one, which saw Andre Heimgardner get his first win over Chaz Mostert and Anton Di Pasquale. So uh, Ford's finished two of the top three on the podium and Cam Waters fourth. Of course, Chaz Mostert drives for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United and insert any number of other names you want to hear. Um, in the Holden, Winge Cup sixth. Then in... Uh, race two was Anton Di Pasquale getting his first win for uh, DJR and Will Davison. So a DJR 1-2, more like what it has been in recent years. Shane Van Gisbergen finished third. And then James Courtney fourth for f- the uh, Tickford team. And in race three, as I mentioned, Waters over Van Gisbergen, Will Davison, Winch Cup fourth, and Chaz Mostert fifth. The standings have Van Gisbergen up by nearly 200 points over Winch Cup, who will is running his last year. Uh, for those who are listening and don't really know what Winch Cup or Winch Cup is like, he's basically like Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he came in after Craig Lowndes, who's basically like Jeff Gordon, who followed what amounts to the Dale Earnhardt or Richard Petty of uh, Australian motorsport and uh, Peter Brock. So that's that whole kind of fall off effect there. Van Gisbergen has won six, six races. He won the first six races to start the year. And then since then's kind of slowed down a little bit, got a second and a third. Uh, Wind Cup has won one race this year, um, but otherwise has been in the top 10 in every race sands the last race. Uh, uh, of the race at the bend there, it looks like, because it's where it stops. Uh, Will Davison in third, Mostert in fourth, Cam Waters in fifth is a very nice battle between them. Uh, so the Red Bull team is basically going to determine this championship amongst themselves. And then the battle after that is kind of close for between third through fifth and then winter bottom. Anton Di Pasquale and Andre Heimgardner have a nice little battle between themselves, Percat and Brody Kostecki, and the top 10. Formula E at Monaco was a very interesting race for sure, which saw defending champion Antonio Felix da Costa getting the win 
they'll take a long break here between their this race and then in Mexico. Uh, da Costa getting a last lap pass on Robin Freins to win. Uh, then Mitch Evans finished third for Jaguar. So Tachita, the DS Tachita team over Virgin over Jaguar, and then uh, DeCosta's teammate John Eric Verne, two-time champion, uh, finished fourth. Max Gunther for Andretti finished fifth. Um, Alex Lynn for Mahindra finished ninth. Uh, you have other people there. You know, you know, Alexander Sims for Mahindra. Didn't even complete a lap. In regards to the standings, Robin Frines has a five-point lead over Nick DeVries and an eight-point lead over Mitch Evans. DaCosta, with the win, puts himself back into the battle. He's 10 points back to try and repeat as what would be a world champion now in Formula E. Sam Bird, Stoffel Van Dorn, Jean-Eric Verne are within 20 points of the lead with uh, what amounts to, what is this, two, eight rounds to go in the uh, championship. Uh, once uh, things get back going, they'll be running Mexico, then New York City, London, and Berlin to end the Formula E season. Formula 3 at Catalonia, the opener of their season, and they have three American drivers, so that's cool because Dalton Sargent was able to get a ride late um, and late call up there, and Enzo Fittipaldi also. So that's something. Go to the results of the races on um, this weekend, which saw uh, small ER for ART over Clement Novalak and Kyle Collette. Logan Sargent ended up finishing fourth in the first race there. Uh, the other American drivers, Jack Crawford for high-tech, Red Bull high-tech was 13th, and Juan Manuel Correa was 15th for ART. Race two, Ollie Caldwell over Victor Martins and Frederick Vesti. Uh, Novalak and Colette rounded out the top five. One Jack Crawford finished ninth. One Manuel Correa finished tenth. Uh, uh, Kayleen, what is that? Is that is that another one? Yeah, he is an American. Jeez. Okay, so there's four. Well, I just found that out myself. Look at that. That's cute. So there's four Americans in in Formula Three now. I've been saying there's two, there was three last minute, and now there's four. So Kayleen Frederick uh, finished four or 17th there. They don't have flags for a bunch of these people. And uh, Sargent and Smolyar wrecked early uh, in the race, basically the first two laps or in the second lap of the race or something like that. So that's a shame. Uh, yeah, Frederick was finished 22nd. And then in race three, Dennis Hauger, Jack Dewin, and Matteo Nanini took the podium places with Ollie Caldwell and Victor Martens in the top five. Novalak, Vesti, Colette. Logan Sargent gets a ninth place there. Uh, Juan Manuel Correa, 14th. Jack Crawford, 18th. And Frederick looks like he was 
a lap down there. So, and dead last. So, super. He's taking his uh, place as being egghead for this series, I guess. Um, and then we'll, uh, IMSA will be coming back this weekend at Mid-Ohio. Uh, they're going to be running. Let me just get an idea what's going on here. Um, I don't know. Did you see anything for the IMSA race, Josh? I'm, as I know the prototypes, it'll be prototypes. I think it'll be the full, full, uh, allotment of classes, but we'll just confirm that for you. The Acura sports car challenge presented by the TLX type S. So yeah, go Acura. Yeah, go Acura. Um, the, the, what do you call the Meyer shank team is looking forward to this race. They're talking about how they're uh, they've been able to get time to prepare and solidify some things uh, between Sebring and now uh, that'll, you know, first sprint race will make it a little more difficult, but you know, it's still something to see. Um, you know, they, uh, they're looking good for their, in regards to their battle with the Cadillacs. So the Konica Minolta team, which won the 24 hours of Daytona, then the 60 team, which has been on the upswing now and coming back to prototypes. Now uh, you have the, I don't look for the entry list. It'd be nice if we could get an entry list. Um, yeah, I can't find that either. Yeah, which is a shame. That doesn't help us. Uh, and, uh, I think I found it. All right. So while we're yeah, so they'll be running. So there's actually a prototype challenge, and then there will also be cars in the regular race itself. Okay, here we go. So they'll be running DPI, LMP3, and GTD this weekend. So there are cars that are going to be running in both the prototype challenge uh, race and also in the uh, Acura sports car challenge. So there'll be seven prototypes, the Cadillac Chip Ganassi team of Ringer Vanderzan and Kevin Magnuson, Mustang sampling JDC Miller car, Voltier and Duval, the Konica Minolta team of, Ricky Taylor, Felipe Albuquerque, then Nazar and Durrani in the wheel and engineering caddy, uh, the Mazda of Jarvis and Ticknell, and then the Meyer Shank team of Olivier Pla and Dane Cameron. Uh, 47 Motorsport for LMP3 with Austin McCusker and To Be Determined. That's a good driver. Uh, Jao Barbosa and Lance Wilsley for Sean Creech Motorsports. They ran well at Daytona. Andretti Autosport debuting with Jared Andretti and Oliver Askew, uh, who is a silver, um, which is crazy. Uh, Rasmus Linden, Dan Goldberg in the Performance Tech 38. John Bennett and Colin Brown in the Core Autosport uh, 54. Riley Motorsports Car Robinson, Felipe Fraga. And then Jim Cox, Dylan Murray, and the wins, Riley Motorsports, number 91. Then in the GTD class, 
will have a pretty good uh, field there. You'll have the Lamborghini of Brian Sellers and Madison Snow from Paul Miller, a Jersey team. And you have Zachary Robichon, Lawrence Vantor, and the Faf Porsche, the Vassar Sullivan duo of Veach and Monacalvo in the 12, and then Hawksworth and Tellitz in the 14. Ryan Hardwick back after some injuries, suffered at uh, Sebring, along with Patrick Long in the Wright Motorsports Porsche. The Aston Martin of Ross Gunn, Roman DeAngelis. It looks like a fill-in driver because um, I'm forgetting. I think Darren Turner usually runs, or I'm forgetting who else drives that car. I don't think that's the regular driver lineup, but I think there's a European Le Mans race this weekend too, which probably helps. Yeah, of course. Daniel Morad and Michael DeCasada for Allegra Motorsports. What are you going to say there? Sorry, I said, I mean, like, I mean, I was going to go back to DPI. I mean, we are missing the the 48 uh, Ally car. I mean, of course, Jimmy Johnson and uh, Simon Pagano both going to be in Indianapolis this weekend racing there. But I mean, that's, I mean, so far in the season, they've been a regular. I mean, obviously, it's been two races, but been irregular so far and now they're not going to be in this one but i mean they'll, they'll probably be back later in the year though they'll run the uh they're going to be running the endurance cup so they'll be back for Watkins glen yeah. uh at road atlanta for the petit lamar so that'll that'll be a good that's a car that has definitely been strong uh their action express team so it's a good car, so it's a shame they're not there, but it'll be something to see once they come back. Uh, and they'll have a strong driver lineup for sure. Uh, Richard Heidenstein and Jeff Westfall in the number 39 Audi, the Magnus of Archangel, Acura, Potter, and Lally, and Mark Miller driving for Gradient Racing with Till something or another. That's what his name really looks like. Mario Farnbacher and Jeff Kings watched him win. Uh, Mario Fonbacher and Jeff Kingsley in the Compass Racing Acura, Catherine Legg and Rob Ferriel in the Hardpoint EBM Porsche. So actually, Catherine Legg not running with Christina Nielsen. That's weird. And then Bill Oberlin and Robbie Foley in the Turner Motorsports 96, the ageless wonder that is Bill Oberlin. Uh, there's going through over that. That's the Pilot Challenge. Um, that's kind of cool to look at. These Hyundai's with the that they have the oh they have Elantra look at that two Elantra TCRs now and then there's one Veloster or a couple or a few Velosters uh, they ran one for uh, for Robbie Wickens from Brian Hurd Autosport so a few a week last week for him to get back in a race car for the first time so that was pretty cool to see. Uh, yeah, so we can go before we get into the picks and the discussion of the, uh, the races this weekend, which will be NASCAR and, uh, IndyCar, which outside of what we already discussed with MotoGP and IMSA, uh, the NFL schedule has come out this, uh, today, uh, in regards to teams. So, I guess we'll start with uh, you, Josh, because uh, I've done a lot of talking here during the roundup. Jacksonville Jaguars, what does it look like for Trevor Lawrence and company and Tim Tebow since he's the Prince of Peace? Um, he's supposedly going to come back and play tight end. Uh, 
um, probably because Urban Meyer likes tight ends. Um, they'll have a week seven bye. I think the Miami, that's after the London game. Yeah. Uh, and so they'll have the week seven bye, and then they'll have to go and travel to Seattle after that. And then, so interesting little schedule. We'll have a discussion on week 11 since yes. uh, you'll be hosting the San Francisco 49ers at that point. So we'll definitely have some stuff to talk about there. But what are your thoughts on the schedule and how it lays out and uh, the fact that you'll be able to play? Uh, you'll have your seventh year last game of the season will be a home game against uh, in Division Foe. Yeah, right. With uh, the season here, I mean, we have the Jaguars starting the year at the Texans. I mean, I personally think that should be an easy win. The Texans seem to be in shambles. We don't even know if Deshaun Watson will even be playing. Of course, with his uh, legal situation there, no idea how that will work out. Um, you know, then week two, um, we're going to have our season home opener with uh, the Broncos. Um, that might be interesting. Uh, Got to Got a friend from school whose brother-in-law is Justin Simmons, who's the starting strong safety for the Broncos. So that might be something we got to link up for. We'll see. Uh, and then Thursday night at the Bengals, uh, that might be an uh, interesting matchup there. Battle of two young quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence and then um, Joe Burrow there. You have Joe Burrow's and dead. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then, of course, the annual matchup with the Titans and then uh, the Battle of Florida, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins playing in London uh, this year. Uh, they didn't know if they were going to have a London game, but I guess they tentatively will uh, if things go right with uh, the virus and all that stuff. So that's tentative. And they'll be playing not in Wembley Stadium, but they'll be playing in the uh, Tottenham uh, Hotspur Stadium there. So going to be a little bit of a different look than what maybe you uh, Jaguars fans like myself been accustomed to seeing uh, with the, yeah, playing at Tottenham for yeah. sure. I think that's Shad's team, right? Yeah, no, Tottenham. No, his his team is uh, Fulham. Yeah, so I'm, that's yeah. interesting why they're playing there, but whatever. Well, they've been playing, I guess, at like, Wembley. Well, at Wembley though, but the NFL has been playing games in uh, Tottenham the last, besides 2020, obviously, in the last couple of years. I think um, they're trying to work out a deal where when I'm at the one game, so that gives them time to uh, prepare for that in Jacksonville. And then, yeah, of course, uh, going to be playing the 49ers in week 11. So that's definitely going to be a rivalry matchup uh, playing the Falcons in week 12. And then of course, week 13 uh, at the Rams, that's going to be the Jalen Ramsey revenge game for Ram- Ramsey. If he's able to pick off some Trevor Lawrence passes or Trevor Lawrence goes out and makes uh, Jalen Ramsey is daddy or something. So we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, and then of course, at the end of the year, we're going to play the Patriots. So maybe the Mac Jones or Cam Newton bowl versus, uh, and Trevor Lawrence, we'll see. Uh, and then of course the end of the year, uh, versing the Colts, uh, as usual, the NFL playing the, uh, divisional games for the last week of the season in the week 18. So now we have eight, uh, 17 games of this season, um, and we're going to end it versus the Colts. So it should be an interesting season. Um, we'll see how it plays out. 
Yeah, I hit a button there, so there's probably going to be a random gap there while we go through your discussion of the Jacksonville Jaguars season. So apologies to everybody if you wonder why there's like a random gap because I I went and I was scrolling and I hit a button. So apologies to everybody, including Josh there on that. Um, In regards to the 49ers, we're going to start with two road games with Detroit and Jared Goff and uh, the kneecap biters. Uh, with Super Dan Campbell uh, and the Detroit Lions, and then the Philadelphia Eagles the week after that, which they're kind of a dart without feathers. So kind of feel like that could be an early 2-0 start coming home to a Sunday night football game against Aaron if he's still there, probably will be, uh, versus Seattle very early in the year, which is kind of brutal. Um, then Arizona at Arizona, and then a bye week early, which when you consider this is a 17-week season, I think getting a week six bye is pretty sh- shitty. Uh, then they have to come back off of that into a Sunday night football game, though it is at home against the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, we have three Sunday night football games and one Monday night football game, or four, or four yeah, three Sunday night football games, and then a Thursday night football game at Tennessee. Uh, they'll play versus Houston week 17, which is probably going to be a win. And then at Los Angeles, which could be for the division title. Um, at least it is in Seattle. We'll play Seattle, <clears throat> finish Seattle earlier in the year. I mean, right there, the early part of the season, things could, they could be three. No, I think no worse than three and two uh, playing two divisional opponents. I think as long as they're at least three and two uh, going to uh, the bye, it'll be fine. I think they could be better than that. I would hope they're better than that, but can't get greedy. The Indianapolis Colts with Carson Wentz. Uh, we'll see what happens there at Chicago. One o'clock game. So that'll be a East Coast. So that'll be kind of brutal, but. You know, whether Justin Fields will be playing that game or not will be on Halloween, no less. So that'll be something. And then uh, Arizona, Los Angeles, back-to-back weeks. And they'll have that L.A. game at home at uh, Levi's on uh, Monday Night Football. Then a short week to go to Jacksonville, no less. So kind of an early advantage goes to uh, Josh's guys there. And then they'll uh, go to Minnesota, or it'll be home against Minnesota before they go to Seattle for Sunday Night Football at Cincinnati, and then at home versus Atlanta. Kind of seems like this like stop, start, stop, start kind of schedule. It's kind of brutal, but prime time game on a Thursday night, four days between a home game at Atlanta versus Atlanta, and then have to go fly to Tennessee, which is kind of bullshit, but it'll give them a long gap to prepare for Houston. So they'll get a mini buy between the Tennessee game and the Houston game after the new year. Uh, That'll be a little bit of a benefit. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Niners got a softer schedule after finishing last in the division. Opportunity is there. Not sure if Trey Lance will play this year. 
if Jimmy G can stay healthy, uh, this roster is pretty, pretty tough. Uh, they're, they're a team that could contend and possibly uh, get to L.A., uh, not just on Sunday, January 9th, but a month after that uh, for the Super Bowl. But the health, of course, is a big key in regards to that. We'll uh, preview the Indy Grand Prix uh, at Indianapolis versus the two races they'll have there this year. They'll have, I guess, the Harvest Grand Prix later in the year. Uh, I mean, it's a Penske benefit, uh, whether you're a Penske driver, because Pagano won there for Schmidt uh, prior to going to Penske, whether you're Will Power. Penske has dominated this race. Uh, Dixon, of course, won the first race uh, there last year, and then I think uh, Will Power won in the fall. So, I mean, I guess, Josh, for you, who's your pick for winner at uh, Indy GP and who do you look at as somebody that could be a surprise uh, somebody who really hasn't done anything to start the year points wise right now outside of top 10 I guess would be I would think would be considered a dark horse pick as it stands right now uh, in the IndyCar series yes I think for me uh, I'm gonna go with Joseph Newgarden uh, he's definitely close at St. St. Petersburg, uh, the last road race that we went to for the IndyCar Series, and, and he finished uh, well uh, to start the year at uh, Barber. So you know, I'm going to go with uh, Joseph Newgarden winning the Indy Grand Prix to start the month of May for Team Penske. I mean, wearing a Team Penske shirt right now, so uh, not trying to be biased, but I may as well bring that one up. Uh, I think for a wild card pick, uh, I'm going to go a little unconventional here and go with Jimmy Johnson here. Uh, he's This is probably the track he has the most experience at in an Indy car. I mean, he tested there uh, last year in the, in the Jim Ganassi car, and I guess he's a little bit you know more familiar with Indianapolis compared to um, Barber in St. Petersburg. So uh, I think third race of the season, you know, he's had a couple of races under his belt. You know, let's see what what can he do this time around. Track these at least a little bit more familiar with uh, than the previous two, and maybe maybe not be the last car in the lead lap, or um, you know, not be multiple laps down. Maybe they can finish uh, one lap down in this race. So um, look to see what kind of progress he can make in in uh, this race uh, as a, a IndyCar driver now. Well, one thing's for sure, he's gonna be the one who has the most commercials shown and he'll have a cool car that they keep on letting people vote for on the Carvana site. So his livery changes, I think for every race that he runs, which in turn means new helmets and the whole bit. Uh, Dale Jr. We were talking about that. I am athlete. He wanted J- Dale Jr. Jimmy Johnson to be on there. So hopefully he'll be on there uh, soon enough too. uh, yeah, that'll be something. I think that'll be a track where you'll have a little better opportunity uh, to be a little more competitive. Uh, you'll add a couple guys. You'll have Jimble Kimball, and then uh, Elio Castro-Neves will be running his first race of the season, I think. I, I don't remember if he has run a like, St. Peter. I don't. I thought he ran one of them, but maybe I'm just remembering wrong. But uh, they'll be running uh, this race, so... I mean, basically going through the list, there's been nine races there and 
only twice as a non-Penske driver won. Of course, Pagano is a Penske driver now, but when he won there in 14, he wasn't. Um, otherwise, a Penske driver and Dixon in July the 4th last year, the same day as the Xfinity race uh, where Chase Briscoe won. Uh, those are the only two exceptions. Every Otherwise, you have Will Powers, a four-time winner there. New Garden won there last fall in the first of two races at the Harvest Grand Prix. And then Pagano's won there twice as a Penske driver. For me, in regards to who I look for in the um, Indy Grand Prix, uh, hmm. as a winner, I'm curious to, I'm kind of, I, I figure, I mean, I, I want to go and, and I want to go a little different, but uh, I think I'm just going to have to go willpower, kind of makes me nauseous, but I'm going to go willpower. Uh, he's had a good start to the year. He's third in points. I mean, I'll be at 37 points back, but he has one podium. He's been up there. Uh, you went with New Garden, so we both left Scott Dixon out there. So, well, well Scott Dixon will probably go out there and win the race. But uh, it's fine. Uh, in regards to a dark horse, uh, I said anybody outside of the top 10, so I just walked into this one. Um, I've given myself some really good options, actually. And... I will go with the, I mean, I I would go with the soft ball here, but I'm going to go with Sebastian Bourdais driving the uh, 14 car for AJ Foyt. It'll be uh, good to see him get a good run. He's had some struggles this year. They have led laps. They've had, they've ran better than what the results show. Um, they've had some problems, uh, which is part of the reason why they're so far back. Same for Alexander Rossi, who's right behind him in points. So, those would be two guys I would look at, uh, Bourdais and Rossi, trying to set up their month of May and angle themselves for the double points of the Indianapolis 500 to get themselves back into this points championship. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Indy Grand Prix will definitely be an interesting and tough uh, race for sure. It's a really tough endurance test there. You, you really get... Uh, it takes a lot out of you and then you're getting basically getting right onto the oval the next day or a couple of days after that to start practice for the Indianapolis 500 basically. So that'll be uh, something to see on to NASCAR and the uh, dry Dean uh, 400 in the cup series and then in the Xfinity will be the Dryden 200. So, and there will be a bunch of cars sponsored by Dryden itself. And they have updated Xfinity list there. In regards to picks, Josh, I think uh, one of us is going to pick one of those guys. And I think we'll pick whoever picks the one is going to pick the other. So I'll toss it to you in regards to uh, picking a dark horse for both Saturday and Sunday at uh, Dover. Right. So I think for the cup race on Sunday, the winner, uh, 
is going to be the one James Dennis Hamlin in the 11 car for FedEx. Uh, he hasn't won yet this year, uh, but he did win at Dover back in August when they had the double header. Uh, he won the first race there. So uh, it's about time he's won. Um, you know, he's led a bunch of laps, but no wins in the uh, win column so far this year. So I'm going to go with Danny Hamlin winning this race. Uh, I think for a wild card, um, He's been running pretty good recently, I think, and I'm going to go with Eric Jones in the 43 car. He's had a couple of good runs uh, of late. I mean, Darlington ended up finishing two laps down. Uh, probably could have had an opportunity to win uh, at Talladega recently, um, but I think Eric Jones uh, could be someone to watch uh, on Sunday at Darlington or at Dover, so uh, I would pick him probably finish somewhere in the in the top 20 we'll give him that to somewhere 15th and 20th but maybe maybe we see him uh, at some point in the top 10 uh during the race so i'll go with go with that for uh sunday and then i think saturday uh the driving 200 for xfinity um you know i'm gonna go with uh just nalgar he's won before at dover uh can't see why not uh, why you know he can't win again there and definitely uh, make it back-to-back from last week uh, and win again this week at Dover. And then, you know, I think wild card, uh, I'm going to go with Brandon Brown. I think last year his run at Dover was kind of the, the race that kind of put him, I guess, on the map for Xfinity uh, in terms of being able to be talked about by the announcers. And I think he really impressed a lot of people with the way he was able to uh, hold his own on some of the restarts there in, in the stages uh, early on in that Xfinity race back in August. So uh, look for him to kind of put on the same performance if it's possible for him uh, there. So uh, look for him to try to steal like a, a top 10 run uh, at Dover on Saturday. Yeah, I'll go. I mean, all definitely is a strong pick there. I think he is definitely the favorite going into this race. On Saturday, he's a former winner, multiple winner there. And uh, for me, I'm going to go, I think at some point, Daniel Hemrick has to win a race. And I feel like this is the time. Uh, He'll have pit road position. He has a good car. He's got confidence. At some point, this has to change. He finally has to win a race uh, for uh, Ren, his daughter, for his smoking hot wife, uh, all these things. I think at some point Daniel Emmerich has to go and win. In regard, and I think that's, and it's going to happen this weekend. It's this kind of racetrack. This is his kind of deal to go out there and win at uh, Dover. Uh, as a wild card pick, I'm going to go with Ryan Sieg. He got a decent run finally at Darlington. They've had a really rough start to the season, uh, changing over to Ford. Um, of course, when you consider that the other Ford, one of the other Fords is driven by Riley Herbst, it basically means it doesn't count. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, Ryan Sieg has run much better, or he's had a better year last year than he had so far this so far this year, but we will see. Maybe this is an opportunity race for him starting 12th to go out there, get a good run, and get himself back into the point standings and possibly give himself a chance to make the top 12. 
in regards to Cup, uh, Josh going with Denny Hamlin basically, you know, left it out on the table. Um, and so I'm just going to take the easy road uh, because especially in the game on talking in circles after Eric Almirola finished basically last, um, I haven't recovered and I don't think I ever will recover. I pick Truex. It's one of his 18 home tracks. And basically it is the closest track other than Pocono to his actual where he lives uh, and probably is his home track. And he's really good there and he's great on concrete and all these different things, 750 track, all of that. So I, I pick him in regards to a dark horse candidate. Uh, I have to go through this. I, I said that I'm talking in circles. I said cold custard. You said Eric Jones. Um, I think based on because these are, I mean, we don't have the same rules in regards to the uh, playoffs or whatever it is. I mean, I guess we could go and do it by that, but because there's too many people in the playoffs as it is. So, and Chris Buescher theoretically is in the playoffs right now, right? Yeah. So, so that's not, I can't count that. I mean, you picked Eric Jones that that fits. Um, you know what? I'll pick Kurt Busch. He can't keep on running this bad personally. I, I don't see how he he can run this bad on what's going to be his final year of his career. Uh, he has a 16.2 average over the last 10 races there, but, you know, he's he knows how to get around this racetrack. Uh, he has the ability to go out there and win. He's won there before. So I think I'm going to go with Kurt Busch uh, for better or worse there. Um, yeah, so uh, Josh, uh, let us know what your exploits were on uh, iRacing and elsewhere. Uh, running the Gen 7 car, too. Also saw a little bit of that. That was that seemed pretty brutal uh, at times. Seemed like there was no grip. Uh you tell us about all that and what you're uh, planning on doing this weekend since we got indie stuff going on and 600 coming up and some of these other big races going on here in the month of May. Yeah, I mean, I did test the new iRacing Gen 7 car, next-gen car that was released last week um, on Wednesday and did try a little bit about it at Charlotte. And it was basically flat out for the most part. Uh, I mean, you're not really, I mean, you know, you're just kind of putting it on the bottom, right on the paint uh, on both ends of the racetrack and turn one and two and three and four. And then, uh, I mean, there is fall off. I'll give them that. Like there, there's, there is tire fall off, but um, you know, you're not really lifting, I guess uh, there, but I mean, I was only Charlotte, the one that I, I tried it at. And then uh, I tried the uh, road course, Charlotte, Charlotte Roval uh, with the car and, that one was a little bit more of a challenge. Um, definitely had a bit of an issue, like getting back onto the racetrack. Uh, the turn right before that um, just ended up uh, having a couple of spin outs right there. And, and I've heard online that there's a lot of uh, issues, I guess, like 
car randomly spinning in a quarter or something like that. So maybe it's just a physics issue or something like that. And they've, you know, they'll fix it in the next release or two or something like that. We'll see. Um, but uh, I am curious, like, because on the oval side, I mean, that's what we're really focused on, uh, how it's going to improve or change the oval racing product. And obviously, the this car is going to be generating a lot of downforce on the underneath side. They're going to really be using a lot of ground effect. Uh, they're going to have a rear diffuser uh, on the car for the first time and, in the Cup Series and obviously changing the rear suspension to independent rear suspension there. So uh, in iRacing, obviously, it was flat out and all that. And I wonder how that's going to look like in real life, uh, if it's going to be the same thing, but they're able to at least close up to one another and pass. Uh, so that's going to be, a, I guess, a storyline to follow in, in the real life side of the Cup Series, but of course on iRacing, um, uh, I mean, it'll probably be entertaining as they go to different racetracks uh, for the next-gen car. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I guess, a preview, maybe maybe what we'll see in next year in Cup for the new car. But then also uh, did 1987 Cup at Michigan, always an interesting race. You, know, you really have to manage the tires throughout the course of a run. Uh, I mean, by the end of the race, like, you know, really have to baby the car because uh, a lot of times the tires will be basically melted and, you know, you basically like off the throttle the entire corner, uh, at least for me. But then some other guys, they really know how to manage the uh, tire and they are able to uh, keep, you know, the same pace and, and manage the fall off really well and uh, stay out there and not need to come in for tires uh, and fuel. And I mean, the past one that uh, I streamed that you saw, uh, I mean, I was in the top five for majority of the race, I felt like, or close to the top five, you know, sixth or seventh or whatever. But at the end, uh, I mean, I decided to pit when the leaders pit and try to have a, a 20 lap run or so to the end and have a lot fresher tires, a lot fresher tires than the leaders uh, that and stayed out after us. But those guys ended up pitting uh, on the first caution was like lap 14 or whatever, 60 lap race. And they're able to manage the fuel and I thought they'd be on the outside of the fuel window and they'd have to come in again, but they managed to save enough fuel and manage the tires and they were able to stay out. And I ended up falling lap down because they stayed out because uh, on there on their strategy and ended up finishing like 10th or 11th. But uh, I mean, it was, didn't work out, but, you know, definitely learned a lot as usual and you know, able to try to continue to master, I guess the 87 car with uh, the tire stuff and all that. Uh, and then also this week, uh, I'm qualifying for the fixed Indy 500, the fixed setup Indy 500. They'll be running uh, on Friday night, and then they'll have a couple runs on Saturday, and then one run on uh, Sunday morning. Uh, so I, I think for me, probably will work out best is the Friday night edition or maybe the Saturday morning running uh, for the fixed uh, setup Indy 500. And you know, they're doing qualifying sessions this week. And uh, it's definitely hard to qualify. I mean, you know, you're going flat out, but you know, you have to drive the car absolutely perfect and, you know, you got to get, you know, on the white line in between the grass, in between the white line in each corner, and then just maximize uh, the, uh, the usage of the track coming off the corner and just try to manage the weight jacker and, uh, you know, try not to lose as much time as possible uh, over the four lap run. Uh, I mean, this, there is uh, tire wear. So, uh, you know, as you go throughout and you have to adjust and tighten up the car so it doesn't spin out off the corner exit, uh, which 
you know, it's definitely happened to me a couple of times in test runs and then, you know, the uh, qualifying run in, in uh, the real thing or in the, the official session, you know, trying to uh, have good pace there. And I, I feel good about the pace and qualifying, at least one lap speed definitely had some of the better times of the people in the sessions that I, I was in. So uh, got to be able to translate that the four lap run. And I've had, I've had a couple of good four lap runs, but uh, you know, trying to continue to work on better. So uh, look out for that. Probably, probably Friday night, maybe Saturday morning, uh, getting the COVID shot on Friday. So hopefully uh, the, the second one. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to manage the uh, symptoms, I guess, and still be able to race, you know, no reason why I can't play, I guess, uh, sick or whatever. So we'll see about that, but you know, just take a Tylenol if anything, and just manage that. So uh, should be interesting uh, trying to run in iRacing officiated uh, Indy 500 for the first time uh, in my sim racing deal. Yeah, I'll be cool. I mean, they, there were, there was announcements, I think for the open wheels 500 as well. Tanner uh, Watkins who runs PR, I think for what is, what was once Indianapolis raceway park. I think it's now Lucas oil raceway park or whatever. He runs that race and Spencer Neff, who's been on the show as well. Uh, they, he's a, he writes all the reports and everything. So, um, great race, something that Josh, uh, tried to make last year. And I, this is a precursor to that running the iRacing, uh, Indy 500 fix. So, uh, let's, uh, hope, uh, good luck and, uh, get a good run in, get qualified the whole bit so that we can get some experience. We can go and run some other Indy 500 and some of these other big races as we go along here in 2021 uh with that we'll call it uh a day here on episode 60 of the gsp uh josh uh where can we find you on the socials where can we find your streams for um iRacing as well yeah of course as always you know twitter.com at ucla2 or no at jp huffine uh that's the twitter name there and then of course if you want to see the iRacing streams streaming the indy 500 and you know, nascar 1987 all that you can see the replay of that see the test run for the gen 6 or gen 7 car on iRacing uh as always uh, twitch.tv slash usailor2 on there and then you can go watch all that stuff see how they did comment uh interact or whatever so um you know go follow on there yeah, make sure to follow Josh. I mean, he's got, especially on the Twitch stream, uh, he's always on there. Uh, I was doing that. Whenever I get the link, I follow him on Usiller too. So whenever I get the notification, I usually click on watch. Don't really comment all that much. Or I try to, but of course I'm not trying to distract. So hopefully we'll have the Twitch stream of the Indy 500 here uh, this weekend to see. Uh, since there really isn't a whole lot going on during the mornings or late evenings, depending. And then uh, before we get into NASCAR and IndyCar, IndyCar on Saturday and NASCAR uh, both Saturday and Sunday. For me, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me. There's also at philipgmatthew.com, which is where one of the places where you can find the Grip Strip podcast. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, and uh, 
what is it? iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, basically, wherever you can find podcasts, you can find the Grip Strip Podcast. And uh, we're on, uh, you know, on your website there. It's a WordPress website. You can find my written work on sportlightpro.com. I'll probably get back to writing again to preview the Monaco Grand Prix. And also uh, contribute as a co-host to Talking in Circles and the, which is NASCAR based Clayton Caldwell, of course, has been on the show and then a grip, uh, grid talk podcast, formula one. Uh, they're on YouTube. They're all over, uh, F one at F one Chronicle, uh, George Housen and the crew George Housen, of course has been on, um, also follow the guys at the monkey seat podcast. Uh, they've, uh, been kind enough to have me on and we've had, uh, Tom on from the monkey seat. So uh, all good people, all great things. We're all talking about our passion for motorsports here. Uh, if you have any purchases on circle B diecast for whether it's merch, whether it's um, whether it's diecast, of course, me uh, going and uh, uh, constantly going and purchasing diecast because I have a problem. Uh, you can use the code GSP28 and get free shipping. So if you like diecasts and you want whoever it may be, if you're a Hendrick person, of course, so that'll probably be easy for you because they make everything Hendrick. Um, if you're a Chase Briscoe fan, you have to wait a little longer. Uh, but, you know, if you have those purchases, they have great merch. They do a great job, great with customer service there at Circle B Diecast. Uh, GSP 28 on that. So with all that said, uh, we um, had a lot going on here tonight on episode 60, and we'll be back next week to talk about everything that went on at uh, Indy Road Course, talk about Indy 500, talk about NASCAR going to COTA. We'll uh, get into the races at Mid-Ohio for IMSA and uh, MotoGP at Le Mans and preview, of course, the Coda triple header Formula One will be running the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, we'll get into that as well. So for Josh, um, Phil, uh, stay safe, wear a mask, social distance. We're getting closer to the end here. Um, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot to do the basics. Uh, but there are people that can't do that, which is why this continues and it's taking off again in certain countries like India, uh, unfortunately affecting family and mine. So um, it, it doesn't take much to be smart, but it obviously is a problem for many people. So try not to be those people. Uh, take care. God bless and good night.